Hey guys, it's Greta Ray and I am on John Littlefair's podcast, Never Just a Dog. Greta, I've got to ask you, tell me about a dog called Louie. Is it Louie or Lewis? It's, it's Louie. Louie. Who's Louie? Louie is my best friend Megan's puppy. So Louie came into our lives, I think, at the beginning of 2020, I believe. I actually think I was overseas because I was oddly overseas at the start of, you know, the year of COVID. And then thankfully, when I was able to luckily come home to Australia, when everything was kind of shutting down, I got to meet him when he was still really, really little. And so, yeah, Megan's had like cavalier dogs like throughout the, I've known her since she was really young. And yes, Louie is, I guess, the latest addition. And um, he's a very beautiful dog that I miss very much and get a lot of video footage of him as I'm in lockdown and wish that I could see him. Yes, that's who Louie is. So Louis sounds like a special one. And there's actually another dog in your life. There is, yes, my own. Called Billy. Yes, Billy is my golden retriever. And she is going to be turning 12 this year. So she's an old lady. Yeah, she's wonderful. She is just the most delightful dog to live with. She is very sleepy these days and I think enjoys, you know, the fact that everyone is home all the time, as I'm sure many dogs are enjoying during this time. So, um, Billy came into your life as a puppy? Yes, yes, she did. Golden Retriever puppies. Oh my gosh, what a dream. Yep, picked her up when she was like a couple of months old. And yeah, she was just like this big, fluffy butterball with a big tummy. And she was so gorgeous. Oh my gosh. Uh, and I think I was, I don't know, I feel like I was. I was still in primary school. I was in grade five or something when we got her. And I've been wanting a dog my whole life. I used to be the most obsessive child about wanting to get a dog. I was so insistent and hadn't had one up until we got Billy. And I used to like spend my time writing, like I would write books and like essays to my parents trying to prove to them that I knew so much about how to take care of a dog just because I was so desperate to get one. I was like, please, this is the evidence. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you put a big case forward. How many? How long did I that did. go on for? How many? How many essays did Years. you write, your parents? Oh my gosh, so long. Like I can't even really remember vividly what the turning point was, but I just remember. I mean, we always kind of grew up and we had a lot of pets. Um, my sister and I, when we were kids, like my, we actually have like turtles and lizards in the backyard in a pit my sister had a lot of like bunny rabbits when she was young Uh, we used to have chickens like it was a bit of a menagerie in my house when I was a kid and I was like there is a really important missing piece guys it's really obvious it's a dog like where is the dog yeah and I just was so I was so obsessed I had like posters that would cover my bedroom wall in pictures of dogs particularly golden retriever puppies so yes the fact that like you know we got Billy it was a big moment that's wonderful. So what was the selling point that your your parents said, okay, we've got a we we have to get this girl a dog? Oh my gosh. I mean, I don't really remember. I think it was probably a little bit to do with like age and responsibility and you know that whole conversation with kids. It's like, okay, well if we're going to get a dog, like are you going to walk it? Are you going to feed it? Are you going to take care of it? And I think at that particular point when she did come into our lives was like I had I had done the convincing. And now, of course, like, you know, she's just she's She's family, you know, like she is just, you know, equally. I think people have actually gotten more attached to Billy (laughs) in this COVID time. Like, you know, since since we've been around her so much, like sometimes we'll all just be staring at her being like, she's so cute. 
you know, it's so funny how you can still have those like beautiful moments, even though like that dog's been in your life for so, so long and you're just still so in awe of them. It's very special. She sleeps in my room occasionally, but at the moment, because she's a bit old, like she's a bit like a baby, like she will get up quite regularly during the nights and need to go outside. And so, I mean, it's kind of a bit of a kind of like a back and forth between <laughs> me and my parents. It's like, who's going to have the baby tonight? Like, who's going to be woken up multiple times <laughs> because they've got the dog in their room? Um, but yeah, she can totally feel, you know, she always has been able to judge when dogs can do this when you're feeling sad and when you need comfort I feel like Billy's always been very like emotionally in touch with the family and with me in in that sense and she also totally knows what a suitcase is because like for my job um, as a musician and for my mum's job like we're both traveling you know when there's not a pandemic going on we're both moving around quite a bit so as soon as a suitcase is open in the room she just immediately will start sulking because she just knows exactly what it means now. <laughs> That's so true. That used to happen to me with um, both my Labradors. I'd have to hide the suitcase in another room so they didn't see it because if they got a sniff of it, oh they'd, they'd, go, they'd go and lay by it because they go, like if I was travelling to America or to England or even just heading up to Bali or whatever, they'd go, this means that dad's not going to be here like forever. That's it. He's leaving Oh, my God, it's so sad. It's so sad. (laughs) (laughs) Funniest thing Billy's ever done, I have to ask. Oh, my gosh, funniest thing Billy's ever done. So many things just came to mind. Something that she, like, used to do when she was a lot younger and she kind of was, you know, had much more of a spring in her step than she does now. She's a bit arthritic now. But, like, you know, as golden retrievers do, like, you know, when we would go to the park and she had had enough time running after the ball and she would be like hot and tired and exhausted she would just go and lay in the mud but like sometimes it would just like in winter or when it had been raining really heavily like it would just get so extreme and you would take this like beautiful like golden fluffy puppy to the park and come back with just like this brown dog like completely (laughs) covered head to toe in mud and then have to do the like hosing down of her to get her clean and just like her being so embarrassed the whole time it's happening it's like you did this you do this to yourself like every single time but yeah so she's a bit of a handful well she was a bit of a handful in that regard for many many years and you just know like she'd be headed to that specific puddle in the park you're like no 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 oh no no I'm gonna have to spend like 20 minutes taking care of this when I get home and they always hate hate (laughs) being um being washed off but they'll happily go and and, uh, roll around in mud Oh, totally. Yeah. I've always uh, laughed about dogs. They're always so excited to leave the house and go to the park, but coming home, that walk back to the back of the car to get them to come back, that's it. The holiday's, holiday's over for them. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man. I mean, I think it's just, you know, it's been weird um, spending so much of last year and this year, like not being able to take her to the beach as much because like we're we're beachgoers, our family, and, you know, she just like totally, you know, suddenly just loses, I don't know, it's like she's just not an old dog anymore. As soon as she arrives at the beach, she's just a puppy again. And so it'll be good when we can take her back to the sand when, you know, because it's not an hour 5K radius, no way. Does she get in the water as well? I mean, not as much as you would hope, you know? Like, I feel like it would be really cool if that was something she was into, but as as soon as we are in the sea, because we'll go right far out, especially when my dad is in the sea, 
she like panics. She's just like, what are you doing? That's crazy. Why are you diving under waves? And she will sit on the edge of the shore and she will bark like a really specific whingy bark that is only reserved for when we go into the sea. <laughs> it's just like there's this whimpering child on the beach being like so worried about all of us being out in the water. It's like, you know, you could probably come join if you weren't such a little scaredy cat. And so someone has to be with her at all times on the beach. Like otherwise she will just whimper the whole time and wonder when we will make our return from the depths of the ocean. <laughs> that is so, they, they just don't care, do they? They go, nah, nah, this is upsetting me or whatever, and I'm going to let you know. They don't really hold anything yes. in dogs. It's just complete release of the feelings they have at the time, and that's what makes them so awesome. Absolutely. I mean, we're really learning the um, – <laughs> we're, we're convinced at this point that she – because she's, as I said before, she's a little bit arthritic, so she's a little bit limpy, but sometimes I think, I think she puts on the limp when she wants something a bit more, like I think that she like she kind of acts as though she's in more pain to get what she wants. So if she like comes into the kitchen and she can see that we're all eating, she'll just look cuter in the face and just be like, and I'm really limpy as well. And I'm like, it's, I just think it's, she's like, it's her like sympathy limp or her simp limp. <laughs> as I call it. That is, yeah, she's a trickster. That is so <laughs> true. So I grew up in a farm south of Perth and we had an old Labrador called Jet. She was so gorgeous. She was mm-hmm. like my first dog that I, because I was so young and she got old and arthritic, but they weren't allowed to leave the house. But Jet would be walking down in the paddock in front of the house normally. And then if mm-hmm. she spotted anyone looking at her, she'd start limping. Similar. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, they're funny. They are. You've never known a dog that is so used to music. Like she, I sing around the house so much. And I mean, when you think about it from like the perspective of a dog, it's like, if I'm like belting big notes in the kitchen, you'd kind of think like, would she think that that was her getting yelled at or something, even though it's like not direct to her. And I just love how I have had to sing so much around the house. And she is just like completely normalized the fact that there's just like loud noises and music going on all the time. Like she just will sleep right through it. And I think that's pretty beautiful. She's very, very patient with, yes, what my job requires <laughs> to do in her space. So does Billy help inspire you with your uh, music, with your writing and um, composing? Oh, well, I mean, a little bit at times. I mean, I think I have written songs, none which have been released or finished necessarily, where she has, you know, been a character in the lyrics. But, I mean, she's it's just the comfort thing, you know? Like, I just, I feel immediately so much more relaxed and calm when I know that she's in the room with me. And, I, you know, she will often be in here when I'm, like, recording stuff in lockdown. And, yeah, I mean, it's just, just having, like, a buddy, having a companion. Yeah. Greta, speaking about music, there's one song that I heard late last year. I've loved it constantly and it became so resonating with me straight after a conversation that I had with another guest. And the song is called Better, the one that you did with Japanese wallpaper. Tell me about the lyrics and inspiration behind that because it's simply a beautiful, beautiful piece of art. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you like it. Yeah, I wrote that song probably around this time last year. With Gab. Gab and I got into a really good routine of him sending me little instrumental loops that he would make and then he would send them to me and I would be able to 
right over the top of them and then also kind of arrange the chords underneath them as well. So I would record the chords and my vocals and then I would bounce out like a really rough demo because I'm not particularly great when it comes to production. But I would send him a rough demo and be like, hey, do you want to work on this? And then we would jump on Zoom and a website called Audio Movers where you can directly hear what's coming through a producer's program to your laptop. And um, he would just like produce up the song and we edit it together. And that was, you know, something that we were kind of, it was a little, yeah, just kind of like a safe haven, I suppose, uh, during lockdown too. And so a lot of the songs that we were making were, of course, you know, somewhat inspired by what was going on during that time. And at the time, you know, it was it was the pandemic. And there was just a point, I think, here in, in Victoria where, you know, we were kind of a breaking point. Everyone was so exhausted. The rest of the country was just like living life pretty much as normal. And, you know, we were missing out on a lot. And I really wanted to write a song that I could listen to and kind of remind myself that things were going to get better. And just knowing that there was like a light at the end of the tunnel and that I would be reunited with my friends again. And I would go to Sydney to finish my album and all of these things. And I would go and see my pop again. And so I needed to to write a song that said all of those things. So that's kind of what Better became about. And then I think once we had it finished, we were so excited about how uplifting it had become sonically and lyrically that, you know, especially when I played it to my mom as well, she was like, I know that you've got this whole album campaign like ready to go, but is there any way you can get <laughs> get this out before? And I just kind of spoke to my management about it and I said, look, I feel like people need to hear this right now. I think that it's important. It's it's very specific to this time, which now to me is hilarious because I'm like, it's also very specific to this time. A year later, we're in the exact same situation. But yeah, I mean, I just pushed to have it out and it was like my first little collab with Gab and I've worked with him, you know, in a kind of live scene for years and I've known him for ages. And so, um, yeah, it was a really nice moment for like our friendship. And I think just to be able to release it in a time where a lot of people were feeling that deep missing and longing for a life that once was when we were in lockdown. And yeah, the whole song was just like, you know, eventually hang in there. It is going to get better. So that's the story of better. I got a message from someone a little while back who is basically separated from their family because they're overseas or their family's overseas. And um, it was this beautiful message about like how they were listening to better and they were looking out at the sea and like right as I guess the instrumental moment in the song happens, whales started like breaching in the water. And I'm like reading this message and I like audibly was just like reacting. I couldn't believe it. I was so I was just, yeah, so amazed by the fact that that had happened while someone was listening to that song in particular. So beautiful. That is very beautiful. I can get that. I have that image in my mind now. I know. It's so nice. (laughs) Now, you've just released your debut album, Begin to Look Around. Mm -hmm. How are Mm -hmm. you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm actually feeling really good about it. It was a very weird lead up. Um, I was doing a lot of work for it, but I was also kind of reminded constantly, obviously, of the fact that like, you know, this is a record that I really wanted to release and be able to then go straight into playing live shows. I've worked on this record for years. I've wanted to put out a full length album my whole life. And here I am in lockdown number six, you know, promoting it. And I also spent so much of the time writing the record when I was like out in the world and traveling, I was overseas, I was working with lots of different producers. Like it's got this really colorful kind of base to it in terms of just like all the memories I associate with actually making it. 
and um, now I'm promoting it and it's just the polar opposite, you know, and I'm in my bedroom. But it's kind of nice in a sense because I get to reflect on that time and the fact that I, I had it. I had those those years beforehand to inspire this record. But um, I think in terms of the circumstances and how it's been received, like within the limitations that we have, I've been really pleased and kind of surprised at a few things actually in terms of how people are enjoying it and a lot of the messages that I get about it from people or people saying it's really, you know, getting me through this lockdown or, or there's hard time or whatever. I just feel like the world is in a really weird spot right now. And um, it feels like an, an odd time in that sense to be releasing a record that, you know, has elements of it that are quite uplifting, I suppose. But I think that that's ended up working quite well. You know, I think that it was quite timely. I think, you know, when there's a new album that comes out, in a time where you, you know, you really need new music, like, you know, you get kind of extra attached to the album because it's just, yeah, you, you want to use it as like a therapeutic thing. Like I do that anyway with records that, that I get attached to. So I'm hoping that it's, that it's serving to be that for other people. There's one song which has become my absolute favourite because of the work that I do that really resonated with me. And that song is The Cure. Yay! Oh my gosh, great. <laughs> That's so nice. Yeah, so I feel like The Cure is a really, uh, like, I feel like it's a important kind of puzzle piece in, you know, the whole record. It's a, it's kind of an emotional turning point, I suppose. I think you can start to feel a sense of optimism after, like, a series of, of breakup songs have just happened. When I wrote The Cure, I was in London and I'd been having a pretty miserable, anxious couple of weeks um, in my personal life. I was writing a lot of really sad songs when I would go into sessions and just like, you know, it was a bit woe is me for a moment there. But I was also having a really, you know, simultaneously amazing time when I was in London because like it's London, it's a city that I love so much. I was doing heaps of work for the record. I was working with a lot of amazing producers. I had sessions with like boys from Mumford and Sons and I was opening for Gang of Youths like, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it really wasn't that bad. <laughs> um, but, you know, I was just kind of in, like, personal hell, you know, in my personal life, I suppose. And with The Cure, I kind of just woke up and I was really starting to actually, you know, begin to look around, as one could say, and was like, actually, you know, things are – I think this is actually the correct path that we're meant to be on. I think this was really meant to happen. And, you know, it's it's going to put things into perspective. And so I went to a writing session with a guy called Johnny Hawkins, and I had this, like, piano part idea in my phone notes from months ago that I'd been saving for a day when I felt like writing, like, an anthemic, empowering song. And I was like – I thought to myself, today is the day for the piano part in my phone. I'm going to write that anthemic empowering song in this session today. And I was working from a studio that overlooked London and had this like incredible like rooftop that you could go out onto and just look across the whole city. And I basically wrote this song about how London had served as this place where I could go to that, to that city that was, you know, on the other side of the world, so far from my actual home here in Australia, and still find that there was so much of me there and that I could be like the strongest version of myself because all I did was focus on my creativity and my work and there wasn't like a memory on every corner associated with someone else like it was just me it was like my city and so um yeah and then I wrote The Cure about you know being able to notice and celebrate the silver linings in a time that feels quite dark in one's life and I guess with the lyric I'm crying out for the cure that kind of just like I feel like that just kind of fell out of me to be honest like the the bulk of the chorus in terms of all of those you know, finding the good in the bad, which is like what I've said in all the lyrics in the chorus, like, you know, growth in 
falling apart and laughter in the darkness and all those little things that I say. So with Crying Out for the Cure, that just kind of like fell into place. It was like, okay, that's this is what the song is. But I think with Maybe I'm Okay Without Your Advice, it's like one of my favourite lyrics on the record, despite its simplicity. I think it is just kind of like it's a really, you know, unmatched feeling when you have that moment in yourself when you can recognise, actually, I think I'm going to be fine. Because so much of you tells you when you're in a distressing place that you won't be, that, you know, you're not equipped for this. Like, how are you going to be without this person or in this place? Or how are you going to cope with all this change? It's so overwhelming. Like, and then you just have this little moment where you go, actually, what if this is exactly the way that it's supposed to be? And I was really feeling those feelings that particular day. And so writing Maybe I'm Okay Without Your Advice, you know, is a real... I'm I'm really thankful that I wrote that for myself then as well, just because I needed to hear it so badly. Turns out I was totally okay, you know, without that person's advice. So that's kind of the story of The Cure. And it's one of the songs that I'm most excited to play live. You know, we got to turn that into such a band song. I got to co-produce it with Robbie, who produced my album, and also Josh Barber, who made the first two EPs that I put out as well. Yes, I feel like it has this really good balance of like new me and old me energy in terms of just like the kind of music that I used to make when I was younger and the music that I'm making now. So, yeah, it's me in a song. You know, I am the cure personified. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> that's the story. There's another song on your album called Bigger Than Me, which I absolutely love. Tell me about uh, writing that particular song. Oh, thank you. Yeah, writing that song was a really excellent time. Basically, I kind of knew that I was at the point where I was beginning to write the record, but I had started co-writing for the first time, I guess, pretty recently. It was very new to me being in that space where, like, you know, you're making a song as a team, I suppose. And I was working with a producer called Dylan Nash for the first time, had no idea what to expect. And I had invited this really excellent top liner called Ned Philpot to that session as well, who I'd met at a writing camp the previous year in 2018. We'd written a song together then and, you know, he just had really good energy. And I was like, I think I really need that positivity in this space. And um, I had been listening to Maggie Rogers' record, heard it in a past life the whole way to the writing session. And her record, I interpret it to be so much about her relationship with music and stepping into the music industry and, you know, this seemingly overnight, I don't want to say overnight success because she was obviously a very hardworking musician prior, but I guess this overnight immediate exposure with her, it kind of was just like zero to 100 in that sense and, you know, how she kind of navigated that. And the record, her record just sings about that in such a like gracious, calm, grateful way, like really reflective. There's no whinginess. There's no sense of like panic even. It's just like really measured. And so I love that record. I love, you know, the production on that album and I, I brought it up in the session as a reference and I was also reading a book called Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert that I love that is about creativity and seeing creativity from the perspective of that it's an outer force that we kind of are merely vessels for that we can like engage with and it's just kind of always looming in that sense and I kind of view creativity to be like that as well and so with Maggie's record and with that book which, you know, I think Ned had actually listened to an Elizabeth Gilbert podcast that same week by pure coincidence. But we kind of all got to talking about this conversation about creativity and how connecting it is and how 
communal and you know I've kind of grown up doing a lot of like extracurricular activities as a kid I was always in like local groups and choirs and dance classes and that idea of making something as a team and and sharing creativity in that sense and how rewarding that is was something that I really wanted to celebrate in song I was like I think I could write a song about art which is I I personally have avoided doing that for so long because I was so worried about it becoming cliche you know writing about your relationship with with creativity but with Bigger Than Me, it just kind of like fell into place with the kind of conversations that I was having with my collaborators in that writing room. And then, um, yeah, we just ended up making this song that just felt so exciting. It feels like the kind of nerves that I get when I'm like getting onto a plane to go somewhere exciting for work where I'm kind of like stepping out into the world and I feel really kind of like wide-eyed and naive about everything but I'm just so excited because oh my gosh I'm on this amazing journey as a result of my relationship with music and art and so that's kind of what Bigger Than Me is and you know once we finished the song my managers all were like you know this is the one like this is a great start like we're writing a record so I knew that also it was going to end up being like the first single and the opening track of the album which you know it was it was such a joyous day we worked from like 11 a.m to 11 p.m with barely any breaks we were so excited about it it was such a good session <laughs> do you have lots of laughs in between your sessions or uh, is it all serious or you just make it a oh, completely no. fun environment it's it's funny because I think it's this like perfect balance of both. I do feel like the people that I've worked with have always taken things really seriously and I'm so like tunnel vision when I'm kind of like hooked on an idea, like I really want to see it through. But there's just such a sense of celebration and like admiration for the other collaborators as well when someone gets a really good rhyme or a melody that just falls into place so well you just all celebrate that person like in that moment you're like oh my gosh yes you did it it's this it's teamwork you know it's so positive and like obviously some sessions are a little bit more challenging than others like it can take a while to crack or you need to have a break or you know come back to it the next day or yeah but I feel like you know I was really lucky when I was making my album I think because co-writing was like brand new as well I was still so just like swept up in how exciting it could be to have these moments that I had been having in private my whole life when I would find that rhyme or I would finally finish that verse and everything would click and I would just have a little like yay moment to myself you know and that was kind of it and then to actually be able to share those moments with other people when they happen is just like it's a gift you know it's really really special what we get to do. Do you think you'll ever release a song completely about Billy or Louie? You know what I probably will I, I, you know what I would probably, I think the songs that are the most, that I want to write the most are the ones that I probably unconsciously avoid the most because I think that would make me really emotional. Like if I wrote a song about my dog or my best friend's dog or like the relationship between those two dogs, because it's really cute when we take them to the park together because like Billy's just this like very old kind of pretty disinterested not very social dog and Louie just like tags along behind her and he's so excited and he's got so much energy and love for her if I tried to write about that in a song I would just like be crying the whole time I get so emotional but like I think it will probably happen there's an artist called Mia Ray um, who's also based in Victoria and um, I watched her play a show years and years ago about her she sang a song about her dog Mango um, who had passed away, and I was like, I can't deal with this right now. <laughs> like, I <laughs> oh cannot listen to this. It was yeah. so beautiful. She's exquisite, and I, I've never forgotten that song just because of, you know, 
yeah, it was kind of just like, oh my gosh, are we allowed to do that? Are we allowed to write songs about our dogs? Oh my God. I think that should actually be illegal. I don't know how you title that song, Louie, Billy, Billy Louie, Billy Lou. I don't know how you'd actually write a title to it. Fluff ball, mud covered dog. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh my gosh. Well, look, if that does happen, I will definitely be letting you know. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it would be a lot. It'll happen. It will definitely happen eventually.